You know, I have over the years changed in my view of material things. Most material things that I have break down and wear out. How about yours? Most things I buy get old. Most everything I've got's got to be maintained. And a lot of the things I couldn't live without, I don't really use anymore. How about you? I, I, I like to hunt. Uh, I, really, I can really only use one knife, but somehow I've ended up with a couple in my drawer. You know how that works? It's kind of like, how many, how many, how many uh, certain things do you need in life? Now, you're laughing at me. How about your hobby? How many of you were up at 5 o'clock on Friday morning? Let me see your righteous hands this morning. Come on. Out there saving money. Now, come on now. I'll be honest. There was more of you than that. I rode by Kmart. Come on. How many were out shopping early? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I'm on my way duck hunting. I'm sure all of you got up early to duck hunt or deer hunt, right? No. Shopping. Praise the Lord. I hope you saved some money. But I had this brainstorm. If we can get up that early to shop. I mean, Kmart was packed. It was like 5 in the morning, and it was, I've never seen as many cars in front of Kmart, just wrapped around the store. I, if people can get up that early to shop and save a couple bucks, shouldn't we be able to get up early a couple times a year and seek the Lord in prayer? I think that's a good idea. I, I'm going to encourage you early January to start your January right. We're going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting. Just encourage you to set yourself apart to God and get God's focus, which will hopefully be the best year of your life. Praise the Lord. All right, let's begin. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll start today. This is somewhat of a transitional message, a bridge message between my series I was doing, Unshakable Faith in Uncertain Times, and our Christmas series called Home for Christmas. I hope you'll be bringing friends with you over the holidays to worship the Lord with us. But the Christmas story didn't just begin in Luke's gospel with Mary and Jesus. How I many know the Christmas story began with Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents? It's a transition from the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Malachi was written 400 years before Luke. It was called 400 Years of Silence. God was not speaking. And the last few words of the, of the book of Malachi uh, envision a man that's coming on the scene that's going to do a great work of reconciliation. He's going to herald the coming of the Lord. He's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children. And guess who that was? John the Baptist. So we begin, this Christmas story has a connection between Jesus and John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist's mom was pregnant at the same time, well, really six months earlier than Mary. But here you've got Jesus and his prophet or his forerunner, both in their mom's womb for a couple months, you know, at the same time. And uh, it's an incredible story. And this is a Christmas message as well as it is a message about your own life. We're going to look in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It's very practical today. In the days of King Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Can you say Zechariah? He had a wife, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, these are the two characters of the day. Now, I want you to listen to verse 6 and 7. It's kind of the, the focus of the message. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, that's a pretty big testimony, isn't it? How, are you living a life in such a way that people would say, hey, you're living a righteous life, blameless. You're living by the Word of God, not just sometimes, but that's the testimony of your life. But then this odd little verse pops up. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they're both advanced in years. So it almost seems like a contradiction. Righteous people can't have a baby they wanted to have. Righteous people, barren. It would be more natural to say, and more in keeping with the theology that we have grown accustomed to in America, to say righteous and blessed, righteous and babies. But that's not what the Bible says. It says righteous and barren. And this strikes it an issue that, that we deal with today. Uh, it's certainly, the Bible tells us that they were praying for a child, because later on it said your prayer is answered. 
But you know, as human beings, they had to ask the question, and they were well up in years, past the age of childbearing, so let's just conversationally say 60-ish, too old to have children. I mean, life had kind of passed them by, but they're still serving God. Now, you know they had to ask the question, why is this happening to me? Every human, every person that has relationship with God, that walks with God, asks this same question, God, why is this? I'm just doing the best I can in my Christian life. You know, I pay my tithe, I live for God, I'm, I'm trying to do right, I read my Bible, I walk with you, but I'm barren. And I don't mean just a baby, I mean I've got some unfulfilled dreams or some things that I don't understand going on in my life. I don't know where you are, God. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, yeah. It, and it's almost like... It can breed disappointment. Now, this is a boat anchor. If you take this guy and you go, you go out on the lake, we go hunting together or something, you take this anchor, these little hooks are going to dig in the ground. It'll catch a piece of wood or something, and it'll hold you. But it's almost like something happens in life. The barrenness of life becomes an anchor, and it gets thrown in the water, and pretty soon your spiritual life just stops. It's like you're trying to go forward, but something is holding you back because you feel that in some way maybe God has let me down. God's not keeping his end of the bargain. And almost unbeknownst to us, we're dragging something in life. We certainly would never question God. We believe in God and all these things, but it just seems like our life is not lining up with the Bible. Anybody ever been there? Sure it is. It's something that happens in the life of believers. Righteous yet barren. Unbeknown to Zechariah and Elizabeth, God had a purpose for their life. Theirs was an issue of timing. And for most of us in this room today, it's an issue of timing in your life before God does what He's promised you to do, before He answers that prayer. Others' reasons, that's not the case. But in their case, it was an issue of when. But here they are, they're at the end of their life, and it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. But God was waiting on the right time for John the Baptist to be born. For God, so much happens in the opportune time. It's not arbitrary. It's not accidental. But there's, there's a rhythm to your life. There's a rhythm to this world. God knows the beginning from the end, and it's a journey we're walking down. We're being led by God. Though we're not robots, we have free will, yet somehow God has ordered our steps, and God is guiding us. And there's just things that happen sequentially in our life in, in the timing of God if we're in position for it to happen to us. So all these years, they have kept in position, but it's not happened yet. Are, are you with me? Now, the question this morning is we deal with this idea of disappointment, of unanswered prayer, of personal loss, and of unfulfilled dreams. Where is God in the midst of these things? I can assure you that you, like me, like more than likely Zechariah and Elizabeth, we ask the question, why God? Why? Why is this happening to me? I'm going to suggest we need to move on from the why question and say, now, what do I need to do now? In the midst of my barrenness, rather than just focusing on why and the fact I don't like it, what do I do now? What is my next step? What do I do while I wait? What do I do when a dream has died? What do I do when I have experienced loss that is irrecoverable? What do I do with my second best? What do I do after I'm divorced? What do I do after the abortion? What do I do after the loss of grandma that we prayed for? See, it's, it's the reality of life that sometimes didn't get preached from pulpits because we think that faith, righteous living, will help us overcome barrenness or avoid barrenness. But I want to tell you, it's those very things that help move you from barrenness to fruitfulness. 
Let's step into it today, but you've got to move from the why question that will be an anchor in your soul to the question of what do I do now? What does God want me to do next? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and then we're coming back to this passage in Luke. We'll walk through half a dozen verses in Luke. I want to give you about four spiritual lessons from Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. I want to share with you some real-life stuff, whether you're young, whether you're older, that will help you as we watch a man that had the testimony being righteous and blameless. Now, if you are a dedicated Christian, which there are a lot of people that aren't a dedicated Christian. I sure hope they're believers. There were times in my life where I perhaps called myself a Christian, but my level of dedication was about like this. Well, John the Baptist and his wife were, I mean, Zechariah and his wife, their dedication was like that. But they still had to endure a season of life of barrenness. They'll teach you something if you listen. Here's the first lesson. It's this. When the Bible doesn't make sense, trust the character of God. Let me say it again. When the Bible doesn't make sense, what can you do? Trust the character of God. Because how many know we are desperately trying to read God's inspired Word, written for our instruction, admonition, find the promises of God, and, and we want those promises that are just right for the moment. Because surely God thinks like me. If I'm broke, I may know I need money. If I'm sick, I need to be healed. If I'm in trouble, I need to be out of it. If I'm in pressure, no. But somehow, this, sometimes this Bible won't make sense. I don't mean just historical continuity, and I don't mean just the facts of the Bible. I mean how it's working in your life. And sometimes a promise doesn't appear like it's going to be answered. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were raised as Jewish people. They lived by these promises from Moses. The book of Deuteronomy, the retelling of the law, one of God's promises. And God would give promises in the Old Testament. It was kind of like, if you will, then will I. And it was this great series of curses and blessing. And in the midst of this, God is telling His people this promise. If you pay attention to my laws and obey them carefully. Doesn't that sound like John the Baptist? I mean, uh, Zechariah? Yeah. Paying attention, obeying the law. The Lord your God will keep His agreement and show His love to you. He will bless you with what? Children. And it says it again in verse 14. Every husband and wife will have children. Then what's the deal with Zechariah and Elizabeth? They were righteous and blameless with no children. How in the world could this be? Does it seem like God's made a promise he's not keeping? Can I even say that in church? Does it seem sometimes like God makes a promise, but he's not keeping his promise? What do you do when things happen that make you question the Bible? Now, I don't mean your basic belief your fundamental belief that it is the inerrant Word of God. But something, there's a disconnect. What do you do when things happen? You know, if you're barren for just a few minutes, I mean, that's a microwave problem. But if you're barren for decades of your life, and you're knowing as a woman that your cycle is changing, that you are past this season where you can have children, your prayers are different. What do you do when things happen that make you question the Bible? And here's what I'll tell you. It's the crux of this message. Trust the character of God. And let me tell you what I mean by that. If the Bible as you read it is not making sense, trust the character of God. Let me tell you who God is in His most basic sense toward us. John three sixteen. you know this. For God, stop just a minute. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He allowed Him to be sacrificed for the sins of humanity. He did nothing wrong, but He loved us enough to empty Himself of all of His rights and give Himself sacrificially so we could have hope of eternal life. Now, that is who your heavenly Father is. He's not a disconnected guy who's wound up the world like the deist believes and just lets it go on its own accord. No, God is a father who loves you, who cares about you. If you didn't have a loving daddy, he's the daddy you always dreamed of. Come on, he's the one that cares for you, that'll never leave you, that'll never forsake you. It is his nature, it is his character to be a loving God. But in the midst of a loving God, how many know we live in an evil world? We live in a world that somehow has given, uh, give and take with this thing called evil. A loving God will not do evil to his children. Let me say it again. You, you, you don't have a father that's a wicked father that if you mess up, he's going to lock you in the closet for days on end. You don't have a wicked father that's going to beat you for no reason at all just because he didn't like the way you looked or you forgot to get the paper. Come on. You have a loving father. That doesn't negate the fact that when we sin, he will discipline us. But his chastening is out of love. It's always redemptive. It's always intended to restore us. It's always intended to get us back in relationship with him. He's a good God. Everybody say he's a good God. So if you're living righteous, why are we barren? Sometimes we understand why bad things happen, and sometimes we don't. Right? Now, if you're Joshua and Caleb, and, and you're with those ten spies, and they didn't have faith, they didn't believe you could go in, you're going to suffer 40 years of your life just getting older while you're waiting for their 40 years of judgment. to be. You understand why that bad thing happened. But how about if you are Lazarus? How about if you are uh, Mary and Martha? The Bible describes these three people as folks who had a special relationship with God that Jesus loved them very, very much. How about if your brother Lazarus is sick and you're Mary and Martha and you know Jesus is just a couple towns over. It's like you're in Texarkana and Jesus is in Maud and you send somebody to Maud and say, would you please get Jesus to come? Lazarus, the one whom you love, is dying. He's sick. And your expectation is what? Jesus is going to do for you what he did to everybody else in your world. He's going to come and he's going to heal Lazarus. But he waits a couple days and Lazarus dies. I mean, no, that's an anchor. When Jesus finally came to town, and he didn't do it out of neglect. He didn't do it because he was too busy. There was, in this case, a kingdom purpose that was bigger than what was going on. He shows up. Martha comes to him and said, Jesus, if you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary was hurting so bad she wouldn't even go and talk to Jesus. And then when she finally did, you know what the Bible says? Jesus did what? He wept. To show us that even painful situations that we go through in our lives, his compassion is near us. He is not an unconcerned, uncaring, and unfeeling. But what they didn't know is, is Lazarus was going to rise from the dead. See, it's like as time unfolds itself, you can only see as far as you are. You and I can look back now, and we can see the beginning from the end, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you're just on day three, and he's been dead four days when Jesus finally shows up, how many know you, you have all this stuff going on inside? Sometimes we don't know why we're, in the, why we're barren. How about if you're Job? His testimony is that he was what? Righteous, blameless man. Same kind of deal. He lived his whole life. Now, the book of Job, it's actually our Bible reading in the next, I think we start Monday. You might pick it up with us, get a Bible guide. That book, many scholars believe, only lasted about four years, three or four years in Job's life. 
So this huge book seems like it's forever. It was a, sh it was a period of time. This guy's just minding his business, serving God. Everything's going great. And all of a sudden, Satan just goes whack. Just like that. His kids are taken from him. His business is taken from him. Uh, everything falls apart. He's sick, and he doesn't have a clue what's going on. We forget sometimes that just because we're Christians, just because we take communion, just because there is a cross and salvation, that it doesn't mean that there's still not evil in the world. And for some reason, I cannot explain to you, sometimes it just comes up and blindsides the believer, and it knocks him down to the ground. But how many know the latter end of Job's life was blessed more than the first end of it? Here's, I don't want to just tell you this morning, bad things can happen to good people. I want to tell you, if you stay faithful to God and walk with God, God will turn your sorrow into joy. I, I, I want to tell you, God is a turnaround God. I want to tell you, God can fix what's been horribly broken. God can forgive and wash and start again. God can make David, whose baby died because of his sin with Bathsheba, the next child can be Solomon, and he's the greatest king Israel has ever known. Are, are you with me? God is a turnaround God. But when you don't understand what's going on, here's the first point. You can trust the character of God. It may not feel like God is good, and it may not feel like God is loving and caring, but He is. My feelings are not what determine what I believe. My feelings are up, my feelings are down. Now, when I'm down, I need somebody to come put their arm around me, come on, and tell me it's going to be okay. I need somebody to pat me on the back and say, you can make it with Christ. I need somebody to take me by the hand when I don't have the energy to pray and say, God is for you and not against you. I need somebody to pull me up when I fall down. You know, we get knocked down. How many times a righteous man fall? Seven times, but what does he do? He rises again. Well, maybe on the eighth time after I've fallen, and I know I did wrong, I don't need you to tell me I did wrong. I need you to come down and help pick me up and say, we're going to make it. We're going to go forwards. See, but, but things happen. Righteous people are barren. And when you can't figure it out, you faith it out. If it doesn't make sense up here, the, the, the Bible, as you're understanding it, you trust the character of God because He is first and foremost loving and He has a plan for your life and there's a day yet to be written. You will be amazed if you would just stop and study your Bible to see how many people have turnaround days and it comes in a moment of time. How suddenly God can invade a situation that seems impossible. But because you have remained faithful, God shows up in the right time and the barren person has a child. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. So that's the first lesson. When the Bible doesn't make sense, trust the character of God. See, Job had this. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, though my life is being destroyed and I don't know why, I will continue to put my hope in God. Here's the second lesson, Luke 1, verse 8. And it's a very simple one. Continue to serve God in spite of your disappointment. Let me say it again. You need to make the choice to continue to serve God in spite of the fact that you're disappointed with barrenness. Now, Luke chapter 1, verse 8, I can virtually guarantee you as you read this verse, you will miss the impact of what it's saying. It simply says this. Now, right after being barren for uh, this long period of time, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. So what's the big deal, preacher? He's still serving God even though he's barren. He's in a place he doesn't want to be, and he doesn't know why God hadn't done what he promised he would do, but he is still being faithful. He's still serving God. This is mature Christianity. You say, what else could you do? He could have done what you and I do, pouted, gotten, uh, Facebooked it. 
God doesn't love me. Help. He could have got depressed. I talk to people all the time that can't even get out of bed. Come on. He could have given up on God. If this is the way God is, then I don't care. Shut the door. Job had this same dilemma. Job 2, verse 7. Satan leaves the Lord's presence. He struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Now, he didn't know it was the devil. He didn't know why God allowed it, but it was there. Now, you have a little pimple. You know what you do. I mean, you have never seen so much noxema or whatever else you're using to try to make that. But I'm talking about a big old boil that is infected, that is hurting. He's in the ash heap, and he's scraping himself with broken pottery. So here's his wife, the spiritual giant. She said, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? In other words, are you still serving God? Look at you, dummy. Here's a mirror. Curse God and die. She needs a vacation. She needs to get away from him. But Job replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. This is nothing but faith speaking. There's no feeling in this. This is absolute barrenness. Curse God and die. But Job replied, you're foolish. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Now, he's not saying God is dishing out the bad. He's saying is simply this. There's a sovereign God that one day, well, listen, he's going to put the bad underneath your feet. There's a sovereign God that one day is going to turn your sorrow into joy. You're living in a sinful world right now. God is still God. And you may be barren today, but you can have a baby tomorrow. That's exactly what he's saying right now. Job said, I'm hanging on to God. It's like I've got a rope, and, and, and my life is slipping. It's slipping through my fingers, and I can't hold on. Job's saying, listen, just tie a knot in the end of your rope so you can hold on. It's exactly what he's saying your faith is supposed to do. Should we accept good and not bad? He did, he, in all this, Job did nothing wrong. Now, let me say this. It's easy to serve God when everything's going good. It's easy for most people to pay their tithe at the end of the year if they get a bonus. Come on. It's harder to pay your tithe if it's your severance check and you don't have another job. It's easy to praise God when you're healthy. And everybody said, it's hard to praise God when you're in pain. It just is. But you cannot let your spiritual life be determined by your feelings and the temperature. Are, are, are you with me? See, Zechariah served God even in the midst of his barrenness. He kept going to the temple for decades, though his prayer for the child was unanswered. Now, verse 11, I wish I had more time to develop this, but let me make this statement to you. God is most likely to show you the next step when you're serving him. I'd even say if you don't write down another thing, jot that down on your phone. God is most likely to help you with the next step while you're serving him. Now, in the context of our story, verse 11, Zechariah is a priest. They would choose different members by lot, and they would go in and have different duties in the sanctuary, the tabernacle, on different days. And his job that day, he was chosen to go in, and he was burning incense. Incense was a picture of the prayers. It was not like, you know, sitting cross-legged on the floor like they sell incense today. They were going in. These prayers, this incense represented the prayers ascending uh, of God's people. Well, he's lighting the incense, and verse 11 says, while he was in the sanctuary... An angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now think about that. While he's in the sanctuary, the angel appears. Well, what if he'd have just been depressed at home? Come on. Drinking beer. Now come on. 
people drink because they think they'll have a good time or they'll want someone else to lose their inhibitions or they want to forget. He could have been drinking whatever they drank back then. He could have been depressed. He could have quit. He could have resigned. He was probably of the age he could resign, but he didn't. He shows up at the temple, and the temple he has an encounter with God. Now, I, I want you to hear this today. Here's my observation. What most Christians do, when most Christians are barren for a long period of time, you know what they do? They quit reading their Bible. They quit praying. They quit going to church. I'm going to show God. Huh. Shut your Bible. It is the worst thing you can do is to kink the hose where the life of God flows into your life. But we do it because an anchor is hooked onto our life, and this anchor is blinding our good spiritual sense. That's why you need a friend to help you get back, come on, to your spiritual life. That's why the Bible says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and all the more in the last days as we see, you know, is, is the day of His coming. But, but there's a message in this passage of Scripture today from, from uh, not just from Job, but from Zechariah's life. Continue to serve God in spite of your disappointment. And while you are in the sanctuary, it is the most likely time for God to speak to you because you're serving Him. Praise the Lord. Let's look at verse 18 now, the, the third lesson. And it's, it's a big one. Doubt is the enemy of faith. Now, here's the picture in the story. Zechariah, he is burning the incense. The angel appears to him, and the angel has got some incredible news. How would you feel if something that you've been praying for for most of your life, God sends the answer, and he sends you about to change? Wouldn't you think that'd be pretty cool? Well, look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel. See, because the angel had just said, you and your wifey, you know that older woman that you're with, she's going to have a baby. You've been wanting a baby all your life, and now God appears through an angel and says, you're going to have a baby. And he said, well, uh, how can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. We're both old. I mean, why don't you come and answer this prayer about 20 years ago or 25 years ago? I'm too old to be playing hide-and-go-seek in the park. Are you with me? No. It was the language of doubt. Now, just, just pause just a second. God is about to do the biggest thing he's ever done in his life, and he doesn't believe there's something about barrenness for a long period of time. It can sap your faith away, and you're just going through the motions. I like to have a fire going in the house when it's a little cool outside. But something I know about the fire, it can be roaring one minute, and 20, 30 minutes later, it is quickly dissipating because somebody needs to go, what do you call it? Stoke the fire. You need to keep the fire burning. It may need another piece of wood, or you just may need to jostle the wood so it starts to touch again, and so the flames can begin to start going up again. You need to do that to your faith. It is not just going through the motions. Many people sit on the couch and watch the fire of God die in their life, and God is wanting you to this pursuit, this deliberate pursuit of God in the midst of barrenness. Boo, I'm preaching way better than you're amening this morning. And, and there was a judgment that came along, verse 20. Then the angel said to him, okay, if you don't believe, you're not going to be able to speak for a period of time. How I many know God, if he expects much of you, he's going to hold you at a pretty good standard. And God disciplines him, and he can't talk. So that's kind of the story there. But when God is taking you to a place you've never been before, the worst thing you can do is doubt. It's like not a baby step. There's a giant step in front of them. And the difference between he and Mary. Now, remember Mary, Jesus' mom, when the angel appeared to her? Now, she's about 16 or so. She's a young virgin. And the angel said, you're going to have a baby. And she didn't say, I'm not going to have a baby. I'm not married. I didn't slept with a man. She just had this kind of, okay, how are you going to do it? There's a difference between how are you going to do it and 
don't you know that we're old? One had doubt and one had faith. And hear me now. Faith is not some blind thing like luck and rubbing stuff and pulling wishbones and all that kind of stuff. Faith is a deliberate trust in God and a courage to believe God. If you're in the boat with Peter and Jesus is out on the water and Jesus said, come on out. Well, let me check the little meter to show how deep the water is. And don't you know I'm only six foot two and, uh, and the waves are pretty. He didn't say that. He said, okay. That's pretty cool. Now, you may say, well, he, 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 he sank in the water. Yeah, well, he did. He got out on the water, though. He's making a deliberate attempt to believe God and go after God. And in the midst of the instant, he, he looked at the waves and started thinking about it rather than faithing it out. He began to sink. There's something in this. Doubt is the enemy of faith. You've got to nurture faith. You've got to keep it alive. The way I nurture my faith every day of my life, I read my Bible. If I miss a day, I pick it up the next day. I got something just big this morning as I was reading through Esther, a book that was written thousands of years ago, inspired by the hand of God. The, the Jews are supposed to be wiped out because of this one guy, Haman, and, and there was a verse in the chapter this morning, and it basically said, in one day, God reversed everything. In one day, the people that were supposed to be killed turned around and killed 75,000 of their enemies. These people that were supposed to be destroyed are now alive, and the destroyers are dead, and they're blessed on top of it. And, and, and it just got in my spirit, and I just began thinking and meditating. If God can do that for them, God can bring turnaround in my life. If God can take one day and reverse the course, the same God can do the same thing for me. I've just got to stay in step with the Spirit. So guess what? My faith began to grow. If I would have just stayed home and watched Fox News or something, I'd have gotten more depressed thinking, oh, no, is North Korea going to bomb South Korea? And, oh, no, how old am I? And how old are my children? And North Korea has a nuclear weapon. And, oh, no. What is the absolute worst thing that could happen to you? You could die and spend eternity in heaven. I mean, it's like we are scared to death of tomorrow. And we don't take time to build our faith each day. Let me, let me close. Luke chapter 1, verse 24. Here's the fourth lesson. You be faithful to God, and God will be faithful to you. Let me see again. Young people, I want you to listen to me on this one because you're at an age where you're having freedom and you have options and you're going to have multiple choices. Am I going to stay faithful to God? Am I going to be true to my convictions? Am I going to be true to that little promise ring that was placed on my finger many years ago? Or am I going to do some experimenting? No, you be faithful to God and God will be faithful to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 24, you know the story. Soon afterwards, uh, Zechariah's mute but lo and behold, his wife becomes pregnant, and she goes into seclusion for five months. And notice what she said, verse 25, how kind is the Lord. Can I tell you, you can go from barrenness to God's kindness. That the timing of God in their world was the only thing that awaited barrenness and kindness. And he was faithful until the end. Oh, he said, he, she went on to say, God has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And in verse 76, it was the dad's words when this little boy was born. He said, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High God because you will prepare the way for the Lord. How would you like to have a child that did that? How would you like to be a Billy Graham's mother? I mean, someone that made a mark on the world. 
You're going to tell his people how to found salvation through forgiveness of sin. This little baby's just in his arms, and he's telling this. You're going to tell the whole world how to find salvation. You're the forerunner of the Lord. Come on. Barrenness to the baby. It can happen. It happened then. It can happen today. See, and guess when he began to say that? Remember, this guy's mute. Remember the, how the story went? He's mute. He can't talk because he's being judged. But then, and, and here's something else you might want to think about. If you'll just work with God, he'll get you out of this spot you're in. You've got to work with God. You remember what the baby was supposed to be named? Supposed to be named what? John. The child was eight days old. They brought him to the temple. You know the story. They're going to name him. It was Jewish custom. Wait till they have circumcision. They're going to name him. What are we going to name this boy? And the mom says, name him John. And of course, Zechariah can't talk. But he gets a writing pad. Can, uh, Jewish tradition, like much American tradition today, is you name child after someone in the family. They said, nobody in the family is named John. And he wrote down, name that child John. I can't talk. i got faith now. I've been in unbelief for a while. I'm ready to get going with God again. And when he wrote down, name him John, immediately the Bible says his tongue was loose. He began to talk. It's like he chose to work with God. He chose to do what God wanted to do and walk in God's ways. He began to talk. He began to prophesy over this child, and the rest of this unfolds. Listen, friend, if you be faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. They waited a lifetime for the child, but the child was worth the wait. God can turn disappointment into blessing if you stay faithful to God. Let me say it again. God can turn a lifetime of disappointment into blessing if you will stay faithful to God. You say, well, is there other proof in the Bible? How about David in Bathsheba? You know the big sin, the adultery. They have this baby. What happens to the baby? baby dies. It was the judgment. That child is gone. But guess what? David still served God in spite of his mistake. Guess who the next baby was? Come on, say it with me. Solomon, the great king over all Israel. What happened to Lazarus after he died? He was raised from the dead. What happened to Abraham? He waited 25 years, and then he had the child of the promise. What happened to Job? You remember Job's story? Job lost everything. Job lost everything in his life. It was all gone. His kids, his job, his money, his business, his health. But then God brought it all back. And the Bible says God gave him twice as much at the end of his life. The Bible says Job's kids were more beautiful than any other girls on the planet. God has an ability, friend, to take you out of the ditch. Doesn't matter how you got there, but God can pick you up and put you in a high place if you will turn your heart towards him and follow him with all your days. Give him a big hand today. Listen, he can do it. He can do it. Let me say this to you. It's not over until God says it's over. You may be barren most of your life, but it ain't over, baby, until God says it's over. And somehow, we can't let our disappointment, we can't let unfulfilled promises, we can't let unfulfilled prayer, we can't let it be an anchor to our soul. Listen. I want to just encourage you today. Hear this, hear this word from the Lord today. And you can do something with that anchor today. You can just, you can just throw the rope in the sand. And, and I don't want to be bound. You can let that thing go. You can unhook yourself from the anchor of your soul by your faith in God today. You can unhook it. You can unhook yourself in the spirit, friend. You can let that anchor go that has held you back many, many years of barrenness, and you can believe God that God's got a brighter tomorrow for me. My future's going to be bright because my God is big. My God loves me. He is my heavenly Father, and I'm going to trust in His character. Come on, give Him a big hand this morning. He's worthy of all of our praise.
Now listen, the preaching's done, but the work of the Spirit's not done yet. I want you to bow your heads, and I wonder, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you now? See, this is not a, an informational message, a head knowledge. This is your heart, friend, as deep as it goes with God. What is God saying to you? Maybe today you're here and saying, I'm just having a hard time trusting Him. But today I'm going to make a choice that I'm going to follow the example of Zechariah. I'm going to start serving Him again. And I'm not going to do it with lip service or half-hearted. I'm going to get behind it whole heart. I'm going to trust the character of God. We might have been afraid or ashamed to even articulate what we said today when the Bible doesn't make sense. But let your affirmation to your Father be it. I'm going to trust you. I'm trusting you with my barrenness today. I'm going to walk with you. Now listen to this last one. This is, a, this is significant for many. For many of us that are here today, I want you to think of the story of David and Bathsheba. Their child was born and God said it was going to die. And David spent days in the temple. He was fasting and praying and seeking God, virtually begging God that that child would not die. But it did. And what's significant in this next step is the Bible says, after the baby died, David washed his face and he went to the house of God in worship. And there's some of us that are here today, a baby has died, something has happened. You, my friend, have to let that go. You have to, by faith today, wash your face. You have to take this step of trust in God and wash your face and worship God because God can bring a Solomon in your life. Now, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to just rest on every person that's here today. We've dug a little deep this morning, but I want to pray that faith would take root now. I want to pray that anchors would be thrown into the sea. I want to pray that you would help us Allow our disappointment to be set free like a kite cutting its string. And I pray, Lord, that the wind of the Spirit would take us to the next place you want us to be. And help every one of us, Lord, on a dark day, a hard day, when it's hard to be barren. It's at that day, Lord, I pray that our faith would be strong. I pray that you'd help us get in relationship with other Christian people, that we might be able to see this thing through the other side. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Let me have one more prayer. Here's how we're going to close the service. In just a second, our, we're going to play a worship chorus, and we'll sing it through a time or two, and then be dismissed. But as we're singing that song, I hope that you're going to be singing with us, but our prayer team is going to come forward, and they're going to pray for anyone that needs prayer. I, I, I know with a message like this, there's a lot of us that maybe have got some things we need God to help us with. But it could be anything you need prayer for, they'll be here. But before we do that, I want to speak to those of you that may not know for certain that you're a Christian. Uh, when we had communion a few minutes ago, we, we were forced to think about death. And we thought about the death of Christ, and the good news in that is He rose from the grave. Do you remember the story I told you about Carol Jeffrey's mom? She'll have a funeral this week. But when she was with her mom's body, that's just her tent, she was able to leave that place sad, but with a sense of hope. Because the Bible tells us for the believer to be absent from the body is to be what? So for the Christian, those whose life are hidden with God in Christ, when you take your last breath here, you go to be with Jesus. And one day that old body is going to be resurrected. And I want to tell you, friend, there's no more place, no more greater need for hope than when you're standing in front of a coffin. But can I tell you this as well? It's too late at that point to make a decision for your eternity. Now is the day of salvation. 
You say, well, how did she get that kind of hope in her life? I'll tell you how she got it, the same way I got it and the same way most of these people in this building got it. She came to a point in her life when she was like at a spiritual crossroads. And she had to decide if she was going to continue serving herself or if she was going to dare to believe the claims of Christ, that Jesus could forgive her sins, give her the gift of eternal life if she would turn to follow him. If she would receive him as Savior and follow him all her days. If she would not only ask for her forgiveness, but receive it and walk with Christ. So I ask you today, do you have eternal life? Do you have the assurance that you are a believer? Are you walking with Jesus Christ? You know it or you don't. Listen, if you're here today, I'm simply telling you the same thing a man told me 30-some-odd years ago, that if I would dare to put my trust in the living God, he would change my life. Now, I want you to bow your heads right now, and I'm going to ask all the Christians that are here to, to pray for anyone that may be kind of uncertain or unsure or needing to make a step for God today. It is the biggest step you will make. It is not a step to join this church. It is a step to extend your faith to your Heavenly Father to tell Him you need the gift of salvation and you want to turn your heart to follow Christ. For some, it may be the first time you've ever prayed like this. For others, you've gotten away from God, don't know how it happened, you just kind of ended up there, but today is a day you want to come back and renew your faith in Christ. Either way, we're going to pray for you this morning. I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I, I want to get right with God today. I want the church to pray for me right now. Would you just lift your hand? Do it real quickly, all across the building. So I want to get right with God today. I want to make sure that my life is hidden with God in Christ. Anyone this morning? I see your hand, buddy. Somebody else. I want to get right with God today. Others that are here this morning. All right, look at me. Here's what I want you to do as we're going to close this service. In just a second, give him a big hand over here. God bless you, pal. God bless you. What you do in just a second, we're going to have everybody stand. Our prayer team is going to come forward. I want you to come and make a public profession in Christ. Let us pray with you, and somebody's going to give you something to help you in your Christian journey. But for the rest of us, if there's some need in your life today, don't leave here the way you came in. If you need to make a connection and a touch with God, I promise you, friend, He can do it here in this altar. You may be sick in your body. There may be needs. You may be whatever it may be. God is here, and God can meet with you. Then after we dismiss, those of you that are kind of new in the church, I'll meet you back in the connect room. Love to shake your hand for just a moment and give you a little free gift. Why don't we go ahead and stand to our feet right now. They're going to begin to sing. We're going to sing at a time or two. Our prayer team is coming. Come on, pal. Come let us pray for you. Come on up. Let us pray for you. Others that, lifted you, that, that, that need Christ, that need some help in prayer, you come on and somebody will pray with you this morning. Come to, come to the front. We'll be honored to pray. To according to your word, according to your will. Your purpose for me.